How much did your military experience shape who you are as an athlete, as a Paralympian? Being part of, of a team. I mean, in the military, I had a platoon and they were they were my team. Being part of something, you know, bigger than, than yourself. I mean, the Paralympics, you, yes, it's an individual sport that I'm in, but I'm so much part of Team USA. Um, the camaraderie, hard work. I mean, in the military, like you had jobs you had to get done and you just did it. Like you didn't question it, you just did it. And it's little things like, you know, being on time. Like for me, five minutes early is, is on time. Like being late is just, so it's like the little things like that. Like my coach asked me to do something and I, I mean, I'm just gonna do it. If I don't do it, then something is really like off in my day or in my life, like not to do it. I think those things kind of, you know, parallel the, the military a little bit. Hi, I'm Chris Whiteout. Welcome to Living It, the podcast where we join experts in the experience of being human. Be bold. Say yes to adventure. Say yes to living it. So welcome to Chris Waddell Living It, where we talk with experts in the experience of being human. Today, we have Melissa Stockwell, who has a purple heart, has a bronze star. Uh, she was a Paralympian, part of the American sweep in 2016, the first paratriathlon. So she was bronze medalist in that three-time paratriathlon world champion. I mean, she has done a whole bunch of different things that are absolutely amazing. And we're going to get into it. The thing that we're getting to right now is that in a week, she will run the Boston Marathon. Melissa, welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yes, you are. Yes, you've done so much for the sport yourself. Um, it's just great to chat with you. And thanks for having me on. I know. And I'm trying to think if we've actually met in person, like in, in passing, I think we have. I feel the same. I feel like we have at some point, or I've, I've heard your name multiple times from time to time. So that could be it too, but it's, it's possible that we've met in, in person. <laughs> so started as a swimmer, yep. went into prior triathlon. Now you're going into the marathon. You've run one marathon. To start off, I did read that that was six plus hours, which is a ridiculously long day, but you're also a triathlete. So that long days are, are relative. <laughs> what made you want to do Boston? Um, you know, Boston, so first off, it's such an iconic race, um, and, but then there's a few reasons. So late last year, um, before the Tokyo Paralympics, I Got into a bike accident and I, I broke my back. I ended up fracturing my back and couldn't really run for you know two to three months. And it, it was hard because I'm such a, I'm a triathlete and running is like one of the things I love to do. So when I was able to get back up after the games or, or start running again, I mean I, I loved it. I couldn't get enough of it. And I thought, why don't we like do something with this? <laughs> like why if I'm loving it so much, why don't we just like see what I can do with it? So. I had Boston in my mind, just knowing that, that it was an early season race. Um, obviously, it's this iconic race and um, talked to my coach about it. And he kind of gave me the green light, uh, my triathlon coach, that is, and decided it would be a great way to get some, some early season fitness. And um, here we are a, a week out. And I'm, I'm so excited. Now we've got to back up just a little bit because so you were the first American woman to lose a limb in war. Is that true? That is, that is what I am told. Yes. That is what you're told. Okay. So that's what I read and what you're told. So it sounds like we're in agreement. Okay. <laughs> so you were also the first Iraqi vet to make the Paralympics four years after losing your limb, but we're getting to this because you're talking about running. So can yeah. you describe 
how you run. Yeah, so I have a um, prosthetic running leg. It's like a specific activity specific prosthetic leg. Um, I have it right here, actually. It, is <laughs> it just happens to be hanging out. It happens to be hanging out. Um, it's got this like J shaped, uh, it's kind of like this carbon fiber piece that looks like a, like a J. Um, some people have seen them. Well, at this point, hopefully most, as I dropped it, at this point, most people have probably seen it at the Paralympic Games. It's, um, you know, all, all runners have a similar type of shaped leg, but it's this carbon piece that has a little bit of spring to it. Um, I am an above the knee amputee, so I do not have a running joint. Um, I'm a pretty short uh, amputee, which basically means I, I have very a very short part of my femur left, about four inches. So I have tried running with the knee. It's not for me. Um, you're, you can fall. It just it takes a lot more energy consumption. So without sort of like a computer thing. controlled knee, right? I mean, no, it's just like a free swing knee, but it would just be free swing. Okay. Yep. With it, when you run with it, the hard part being is that it, unless you land with that free swing knee fully extended, you are going to fall. And because I have such a short lever arm of that four inches, the energy it takes for me to get it straight every every step is is a is, is large. It's it's like energy consuming. So I have chosen to run without a knee joint, which basically means I swing my leg out to the side as I run, like I circumduct it around to the side, which seems like this really unnatural and strange and unproductive way to run. But honestly, like I've been doing it now for years and years and it's just how I know to run it. Um, the hip joint is typically not an issue. It's kind of that ball and socket that can kind of have that movement. The lower back can sometimes hurt, but it could do that with their knee joint as well. So it's how I've chosen to run. Um, it looks strange. Um, some people wonder why I don't put a knee in there, but for me, it works. For you, it works. It, it looks like, I mean, from the outside, sometimes it looks like it could be uncomfortable. You're running. I mean, so, so off of your, off of your, your, your sound leg, you come really far off the toe of the sound leg as you're coming into, and then coming around with the prosthetic to land on the prosthetic and then come back. What is, what is that like? Cause it looks like it's a lot of work and you're signed up for 26.2 miles. Um, I mean, yeah, it's a lot of work, but I, I mean, running 26.2 miles with, with two legs is a lot of work too. So good point. Good I, point. I, I think because I, I like, for me, it's just normal. I mean, I've run like that with my running leg for so many years. Like it's, it's truly an extension of me. That is how I run. It is how I learn to run. And I mean, it, it, to me, it's just get out there and run. There's really, you know, whether it, it is it a lot of energy consumption? Absolutely. But at the same time, you know, I am missing my leg above the knee. So there's going to be a lot of energy consumed anyway. So, um, yeah, I mean, it just works. Yeah. And 26.2 miles, that's a long way for, for anybody. So I'm just, you know, how lucky that I get to put my running leg on and go do it. How about specifics of Boston? So Boston is, is a unique course, right? It's point to point from Hopkinton to Boston. It is slightly downhill, maybe more than slightly downhill at times at the beginning. And then you get into, you get into the hills and then you're finishing in Boston. Do you do any part of that better than any other part? No, I mean, the hill, obviously the hills are, uh, I mean, they're a challenge for anyone, right? Like for me with the prosthetic, I probably have to come up onto my toe a little bit more to get that clearance. My cadence will speed up, like the, I'll take much shorter steps. Um, 
but I don't think, I mean, given all of it, like, I don't think a hill is any harder for me than it is for anybody else. Just, I mean, I just happen to have a, a prosthetic leg. So, um, and, but downhill, I probably don't get as much out of the downhills maybe as anybody, as, as, as a typical able-bodied runner with two legs. I just can't propel myself that fast down a hill. So the disadvantages to the uphill, they don't really equal out with the advantages to the downhill. Um, wind will play a big factor if there is a headwind trying to bring my prosthetic leg through makes a big, it, it, it's, it, it makes a, quite, quite a difference. Um, Why is that? Um, it's just the, you know, the prosthetic leg, I'm swinging it around. It's like the blade is kind of like this flat, you know, three inch, yeah, like three to four inch, like mm -hmm. flat piece of carbon fiber. So you're just, it's, it's fighting the wind every step you take. So it's just kind of adds more resistance than I would say than my other leg. So, I mean, yeah, there's little things that maybe add these, you know, disadvantages, but I mean, I, you, I know that going into it, it's not gonna, I mean, I just want to do the best I can do. <laughs> right. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm just thinking, is there something yeah. particular that plays out for you? Like, you know, as a wheelchair racer, the downhills for us are, are generally pretty good. You know, sure. <laughs> you can Absolutely. use those downhills, the uphills aren't quite as good, you know, right. where, where there are times when, it, where it's steep, where you're not even, you know, where, where you can go slower than, than some runners, if it's a really steep hill. Yeah, so, absolutely. so, so yeah. that's just, just looking at that. Does that asymmetry, if, if it's, if there's a tailwind, if it's so, I would say perfect race day weather for me would be like high forties, sun, um, no rain and a tailwind. <laughs> can we like make that happen so the other thing with the prosthetic is the hotter it is so sweat builds up in my prosthetic so if it's hot like this year I don't think it's going to be an issue but like if it was 80 degrees and I'm starting at 950 I will probably have to take my leg on and off every like six to seven miles to take it off wipe the sweat off and put it back on or else it rubs in the wrong areas um, it starts to like slip a little bit and I just run way better after I've wiped that sweat off so, you know, this year, you know, looks like it's going to be, you know, mid fifties with overcast and, you know, so maybe I have to take my leg off three or four times versus like six or seven times if it was really hot. And so it's really, it's a suction, right? That, that keeps your legs on. Um, your yeah, leg I on. have a liner. Um, I'm actually, I'm going to on a run after this. That's why I had this all on, but I have this liner um, that has a pin on the end of it and the pin kind of ratchets into the hole on the end of a socket. So it kind of like sits in there and it kind of ratchets in. So that's how it holds on. So the right. liner kind of builds up with a bunch of sweat builds up in it. It starts to slip and that's where they're rubbing and just, I just don't run as well with it. When it's right. Slipped. So that's essentially the liners like that suction where it kind of is, yeah, yeah. is holding you in and then you're attached with the pin. What kind of, what kind of time are you looking to run? Just not to make you nervous or anything. No, you got a I'll, week, all the work's I, I done. I'll put it out there. It's fine. Um, so, you know, when I, it's funny. When I first signed up for the race, I was like, don't care about time. I ran New York, you know, however long ago, did, like hardly trained. It was miserable. I was out there for, you know, almost six hours and 30 minutes. Like, I can't believe I'm admitting that. Um, so I signed up for Boston being like, I'm just going to beat that time and like redeem that performance. But then as an athlete, like you start training and you're like, oh, okay, like maybe I do want a time goal. So it started with under five hours. Now, if I go under four hours and 30 minutes, I would be, I would be thrilled. So I would say that's my goal four thirty. So you did, you did New York, you're doing Boston. Have you done a marathon as part of a triathlon as well? 
I did one Ironman in 2013 in Arizona. So I've done a standalone New York marathon, the Ironman marathon in Arizona, and then it'll be this one. So this should be relatively easy compared to the to the one in Arizona, right? Because yeah, I feel like I don't even know if you can. I mean, you can count it, but like I don't even know if you can really count that <laughs> because it's just. I mean, you're coming off of you know riding your bike for 112 miles. I mean, it's just it's just yeah. I mean, you count it, but it's not like yeah. This this will be my best one. I have no. I mean, yeah. Given what I've done, this will be the best one. Right, and certainly fingers crossed for for it a tailwind that that makes a huge difference I mean, in Boston. For wheelchair racers my goodness yeah I can't that's huge yeah yeah I mean it can be it can be 10 20 minutes easily absolutely yeah, yeah. I, I mean, would say for sometimes me, even more probably not 10 20 but it could be like 5 10 minutes difference yeah for you yeah 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 exactly yeah I mean last year I did it was 2017 which was a great tailwind and then oh, the yeah. next year was a nasty headwind freezing rain hypothermia rain? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the winners went from 118 to 146 what yeah oh that's insane wow yeah wow that's crazy so yeah so so these these things do happen how much do you know about boston about like what to expect how much research have you done i've done a good amount um obviously the course i I, mean, I don't know, like, I don't know it, like I can spout it out, out to you, but, um, you know, I know obviously the, the hills and what, what to look for, like the Sitco sign and the fire station, the colleges, Wesley College, Boston College, I know Heartbreak Hill, I know the first five miles, start downhill, but everything I've heard about it, I mean, I've done most of my training on my own. I had one training run the, my la- my longest one was t- about almost 23 miles for the last eight miles. Some of my teammates jumped in with me and the motivation just to have someone there. I mean, it was like night and day. So not only will I have Carrie by my side through all of it, but the crowds, I mean, I am just, I'm, I've heard such the, the atmosphere is just like electric and the energy and just, I, I mean, I can't wait. So your best friend Carrie is running with you, you said? Yep. Yep. And, and there is moral support, but that's, that's a big step in moral support. She has to run a marathon in order to do moral <laughs> support now. She does. She, um, yeah, she, she's kind of, she's been with me through everything. I mean, she was my, she was at the Ironman, like helping me out of the water. I mean, we were both co-founders of the organization Dare to Try that we started back in Chicago. And, you know, she's, she's been in, um, in, she was in Rio with me with the USA sweep. I mean, she has been with me every step of the way. So it just makes sense for her to be there. And just to, I mean, there's no one else. I mean, who, I mean, to have your best friend by your side to run with, I mean, it just makes it that much better. Do you have an agenda of what you're going to talk about along the way or how's this going to work? So I'm not much of a talker when I run, she is. So it kind of works out well. She talks and I just like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh is what I say, but Yes. Ask her, ask her a, a question that has a really long answer to it. But she also, you know, she's one that I, I just typically don't talk much when I run. I'm more focused on just, you know, the race, but she will, I mean, she will thank every volunteer as they should be thanked every, you know, every, she'll thank the sky and the crowd and it'll, it'll, it'll be great. Yeah. Now dare to try. So triathlon club that you guys started to Mission is, is about not labeling people for their physical ability, but rather their determination and will to succeed. Why, yeah. why did you go with that kind of, with that as a, as a mission? Is that a personal mission for you? Um, yes, I, I think so. Um, you know, I think 
trying to, it was trying to prove to myself, like after losing a leg almost 18 years ago, like book, instead of saying, oh, I can't do this, this, and this, but instead think about the things that I, I, I can still do. So I think it's all about, you know, showing these athletes that have physical disabilities. I mean, how much ability is in their disability. And I mean, a lot of times you go up to someone with a disability, like uh, spinal cord injury, you know, it, wheelchair, visual impairment, amputee, and you're like, hey, you want to do a triathlon? And they're like, I can never do that. Like, why would I ever want to do that? And you're like, but you can. And you, by providing them with the adaptive, you know, the expensive adaptive equipment, you know, coaching, training, sometimes something as simple as just getting to the starting line and watching them do this race, they cross the finish line and like self-confidence and the self-worth is just like oozing from them. So it's not just about, it is, we start with the triathlon, but it just carries over into all other aspects of their life as well. So it's, it's pretty awesome. Were you always an endurance athlete? So when you started with the swimming, what this 400 meter freestyle, you broke the American record. 400 meter freestyle is not a short event. It's not something you just sort of jump into and go right. swim 400 meters. Then you're doing triathlons and, and I mean, sprint events for the Paralympics, but you've done Ironman distance as well. Now you're running a marathon. It, was this a transformation? I mean, do you lose your leg and then suddenly become an endurance athlete or how does, how did that work? No, I mean, I think you lose leg and you're like, oh, I, there's these things I can go try and let's go try them and see how they see what happens. And um, it's funny, like try like a sprint distance triathlon. I mean, it's around like an hour, hour 20 ish minutes. And to me, that doesn't seem very endurance wise. I mean, to a sprinter who runs for 60 seconds, I mean, that's an hour 20 seems like an eternity, but to me, that doesn't really seem so much endurance, but like an Ironman, obviously a marathon, that's all endurance. And, um, I think it was just what I fell into. I mean, I think, do you think the older I get, like the more endurance, like that, that speed, just, I mean, like anyone that gets older, right. That speed like, isn't there, like it used to be. And the monotony of going out for three hours on a run, it's, I mean, does it hurt? Cause I'm getting older. Yes. But it's just like, eh, it just, I just enjoy like this, the simplicity of it and the, like not going as fast as you can, but like finding that, that stable place where you can make it all those miles. And I just, I, I, I enjoy it. Well, some of it, I mean, you're, you're a mother of two as well. So sometimes the training is also sort of like your meditation, your you time. Oh, that is like my time. Yes. Like my husband will go play golf for four hours and I will go on, you know, a three hour run or I'll go ride my bike. And that is my time. Like, you know, yeah, absolutely. During COVID when we were all, you know, ever all like my only time by myself was on my bike or while I was running or swimming. And yes, that is my time. What did you do growing up for sports? Gymnastics. So gymnastics was, you know, lived and breathed gymnastics every morning before school, um, you know, got to a pretty high, like elite level. There was some newspaper article that said I was an Olympic hopeful at once, but that was my claim to fame back then. I um, definitely did not make the Olympics. I was at the same gymnastics meet, like as the people, as a gymnast that maybe made the 1996 Olympic team, but I was not competitive with them, but I was like at the same meets as them. So, you know. You're also five, five too, right? Yeah. So yeah. That's not the typical height of a, of a gym. I feel like I grew maybe after I stopped, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it was just, it wasn't, I mean, I got decently high level, but obviously not much further than that. How did you end up joining the, the military? How did that end up working? Was it 9-11 that pushed you 
to join? No, I was I was already in ROTC at the time. So um, I grow I grew up just you know realizing early on just I love our country. Realize how lucky we are. Love the flag, the red, the white, and the blue. Kind of as I grew older, some military personnel, you know, they had the uniform on, the flag patch on their shoulder, and thought that's what I want to do. So. Sophomore year of college, I joined the ROTC program, which is basically a program that when you graduate, they, you get commissioned as an army officer. And then senior year of college is when 9-11 happened, but I was already on track to you know, be commissioned as an officer. I just kind of obviously drastically changed my path. And was that going to be a career path for you or was that going to be kind of a shorter period and then you move on to something else? It's hard to say. I was I owed um, at least four years of active duty and then four to six years of like active duty reserves, basically. It's hard to say though. I mean, I don't know. It was cut, it was cut short. So would I have kept going? I mean, I I I don't know if we'll ever know that. Right, exactly. But you hadn't had a plan to say this is it. I'm no, going the way. No, I don't know if I knew that at that point. Yeah. How much did your military experience shape who you are as an athlete, as a Paralympian? You know, I think they, they're very, they, they have values that kind of, you know, parallel each other. So being part of, of a team, I mean, in the military, I had a platoon and they were, they were my team being part of something, you know, bigger than, than yourself. I mean, the Paralympics, you like, yes, it's an individual sport that I'm in, but I'm so much part of team USA, like wanting to like be part of that, um, the camaraderie, the, um, you know, hard work. I mean, in the military, like you had jobs, you had to get done and you just, did it like you didn't question it you just did it and it's little things like you know being on time like for me five minutes early is is on time like being late is just so it's like the little things like that of like my coach asked me to do something and I, I mean I'm just gonna do it like it's if I don't do it then something is really like off in my day or in my life like not to do it like he puts it in my schedule and I just do it like no questions asked so I think those things kind of you know parallel the, the military a little bit how much do you have that interaction with your coach? You said he gives you an assignment, you do the assignment. How much yep. back and forth is there of like, okay, well, here's the assignment. It was like, okay, that's the assignment, but this is what I'm trying to do. This is what I feel like I need. How much back and forth between the two of you is there? Um, it's daily. So he, and I saw like we saw him this morning and he was on deck with us. Um, you know, I, I, my, my weeks are, are busy. I mean, I travel a decent amount. I, you know, with my kids schedules and trying to get everything in. So it's almost like every week we talk about like what the week schedule is going to look like. Um, he was on board with Boston. He's been my coach. His Derek is his name, Derek Williamson. He's been, um, you know, training me into Boston. He's just an amazing, an amazing coach. He's an amazing person. Like he's a friend and I've worked with him now for, this is my third year. So he knows my, my style, like what works for me, what doesn't work for me, how to manage, juggle everything else in my life. And it's just a really good fit. For you, it seems like, I mean, one, I mean, one, you're 42 years old right now. That, that's public knowledge. So I'm good with that. I'm a proud 42 year old. We're good. Perfect. But looking at that, I mean, the mother of two, but coming into, into the sport, you, you joined, you joined a, a group that you probably hadn't really considered all that much, you know, and joining the Paralympic group, yep. but have been really visible, probably one of the most visible athletes in the Paralympic space in terms of working with some of the sponsors. I mean, I did see, you know, it's nice when, when these sponsorships line up, right. Where if, if you have an Oreo addiction that you can actually work with right. Nabisco. Yeah. 
Chapstick. Chapstick. Same. Yep. Yep. Stuff that you actually use. How much, how did you develop your voice as an athlete and, and as an advocate? Um, I, I think it could, it almost came just naturally. Like, honestly, when, after I lost my leg and then like got into athletics, you know, co-founded dare to try, it wasn't like, it just was things that I was passionate about. And I mean, I wanted to, to do, and I don't think I realized along the way that it was becoming this kind of advocacy role to, you know, yes, with dare to try, we want, like I, the whole mission is to help other athletes with physical disabilities. And like my platform, if you say like to show, you know, myself or others, that doesn't matter if you have one leg or two, you can still get out there and like dream big and have these, like, it doesn't like, we're still people we're, and we're athletes also like none of that. It just kind of came, came naturally. I don't know if that makes sense. It just, um, it just happened. And I think, you know, being first approached by a sponsor, you kind of think, wait a minute, like, 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 what do you mean? Like, like the life that I live is like, like, why would that even, why is that even of interest to, to anybody? But then to realize that it, it, it can be, and it can maybe, you know, show others that, you know, we have a choice on how we live our lives and we can still, whatever comes our way, we can get through it and end up better on the other side. But you're also marrying a lot of things too, aren't you? I mean, just with the military side of things, obviously we've seen some of the photos where, We've got you in your military garb on one half of the photo and in your triathlon garb on the other side with, with the prosthetic yeah. leg, you know, and, but it's interesting because like you went to your first games and, and weren't in the, you were, you were, you did well, but you weren't in the medals right. in your first games. And some of that is like, okay, what kind of a platform do you have? But it seems like for you, it's, it's the success, but it's, but it's a lot of, everything and did that yeah. happen in the beginning what's that Say that did again. that happen in the beginning did it, no, when did that I, start happening I don't think so I mean when I swam in Beijing in 2008 it was well number one the Paralympics had not as much notoriety as it does now I mean it, it, the Paralympic movement has come so far from 2008 to 2020 which is great I mean the growth is fantastic so back then it was just I don't know I was just Melissa who lost her leg in a war and here I am competing in the Paralympics. And I, you know, I like looking back, I think like to 2008, that almost becomes part of the story where you in 2008, like I didn't do well. I, you know, I, I didn't even make finals. Like I, but you know, these moments of, you know, I was, I ended up being the flag bearer in closing ceremonies in, in Beijing. And that kind of, at the time it was amazing and it's still incredible to look back on, but that, who knew that that was going to become like such a part of the story? Like it wasn't the medals end. So then, you know, look forward to 2016 and be a part of the USA sweep. Like it just, the way that it's all worked out is just almost baffling. I, I don't know. Like I never would have thought that that would be like my, my own life. Right. And you probably didn't have the plan. I mean, I, I looked at Definitely like not. for me, getting back into skiing yeah. was, was representative of my recovery. Like sure. if I could ski again, then, then I was recovered. And there was, you know, there was a part of it about doing it well. Right. And if I could do it well, well enough that I could go and share that time with my friends and family and maybe win a little bit here and there or whatever. But was that the way that you looked at, at Beijing? Was Beijing sort of like a one-off or was it the start of a career? No, to me, it was going to be a one-off. I mean, when I got done, when I 
So I, I learned about the Paralympics while I was still at Walter Reed, like recovering, like probably two months after I lost my leg. Um, I learned about the Paralympics and just kind of sat there like jaw on the ground, like, oh my gosh, I dreamt of being an Olympian in gymnastics. I kind of have a second chance. And wearing a Team USA uniform, you know, a very different but similar uniform of, that I wore in, in the military, like you're still representing the same thing. And decided very early on in my recovery that I wanted to be a Paralympian. And 2008 came, I made the team, didn't do very well, but I finished those games, went back home and thought, well, that was fun, you know? And then you get a call the next week and they're like, hey, you wanna do a triathlon? And sure, and then come to find out that's like the next passion is triathlon. And then it became a Paralympic sport. So yeah, it was never gonna be, I mean, three-time Paralympian. I mean, no way, no way. That was not How did that first conversation go? Do you remember when somebody told you about the Paralympics? I mean, you're used to lying in bed as somebody tells you about. No, Paralympics. it was um, so it was at Walter Reed, and so Walter Reed did they they did they were incredible at the hospital there. That's at the time in 2004. It's where basically all the wounded soldiers, severely wounded soldiers, went to re- to like do their rehab, and they would we would have like visitors, we would have activities, like anything we could do to kind of like past the time and to like show us what we could still do and there was a sign in the hallway the small sign that said come learn about the U.S. Paralympics I'm like oh, okay well I'll, I'll go to this and this man um you may know him John Register is his name sure. and he was the one that came that day and if you know John he has a way his, he has this like booming voice and he, like and I sat in this room and he was like talking to you know maybe a dozen of us are in this conference room and it's like he's talking to me, it felt like he was talking just to me. And he's like, if you train hard enough, like if you dedicate yourself to a sport, then you can compete on the world's biggest athletic stage. And you can represent a country you defended over in Iraq. And I was like, okay, I'm in. Like, what do I do? I'm in, you know? So it was like this very, like, I, I don't know, just knowing John and his passion behind it and just how we can talk about things. It was like a no brainer. I left there knowing that, all right, I'm going to be a Paralympian, whatever it takes, I'm, I'm going to do it. Right. And obviously he'd gone through the same route that you yeah. had to a certain yeah. extent. Right. I mean, he was a sprinter yeah. at, I believe, Arkansas, so a division one sprinter or not a sprinter, but a, but a hurdler. Yep. Yep. And, and exactly. Ruptured his femoral artery, I believe. And yep. I mean, so lost he was he's lucky to be around, lost his yeah. leg as a result, came yeah. back as a as a long jumper and I think 100 meters as well. But, and, and also like a preacher's kid too, right? So I yeah, think he's- I know, it's, it was like all the stars aligned in that little room right there. I mean, I credit him with my desire to want to be a Paralympian. I mean, it's, yeah, it's great. Did you kind of like, wait, is it sort of like that movie scene where everybody files out and you go to talk to John? You're like, hey, John, I really want to do this. Like, how do I, I really- What do I do? Um, honestly, I don't even remember. I just know that it was then on the radar. I- there was a program um, for veterans that were, you know, potentially Paralympic hopefuls. I mean, I was so far from even a hopeful at that point. Like my times were way up here. They had to come like way down here, but they took a chance on me and I was able to move out to the Olympic training center. And that, um, I mean, that got me to the games that got my times fast enough to, to qualify. So how quickly did you move to the training center? This sounds like you left Walter Reed and you went to the training center. Is no, this how I am. Um, so I, I, I was, I left the hospital in April of 2005. So I was, in, I was kind of there for a year, went back to school in the field of prosthetics. So learning how to fit other amputees with artificial limbs, 
moved to Chicago in 2007 to do my residency in order to become certified um, in the field of prosthetics. But then I moved um, in, in the end of 2007 out to the Olympic Training Center. So th there were a little bit, there was a little bit in there. A little bit of time, a little bit. It happened pretty quickly, but- It did, yeah. Did that make it easier for you because you started to see a path as you were leaving the hospital, I mean that's that's one of the challenges, right? That you have this traumatic injury, and you think, okay, well, my life as I as I've known it has stopped. Yeah, how, I think so. How do you I know, move forward? Yeah, yeah, I think you know after being in that meeting with John, knowing that okay, I wanted to be, I, I'm going to be a Paralympian somehow. I knew that in 2008 there was a Beijing Paralympics. Um, I started to swim. You know, I, I went back to school for prosthetics started to swim. Um, it just so happened that there was a Paralympic swim meet in Minnesota where I was going to school. So again, all, all these things are like aligning. I'd go to that Paralympic swim meet, I get classified, you know, see where my times are and how much like I need to improve. But at the same time, you kind of get your name out there a little bit because it was my first meet. Um, so then I was kind of on the radar to be able to, you know, be a part of this program that was starting at the Olympic Training Center. So everything just kind of happen and it kind of just worked out like worked out really well when you said that you were thinking about going to beijing in 2008 so so lost your leg in 2004 go to beijing in 2008 what was the reaction from people when you said that 2008 was this is the plan yeah um I mean, my family and my family and friend always been so supportive. They're like, oh, okay. They, I mean, half of them didn't even know what the Paralympics was either. And it was like, okay, go for it. Like, I don't even know what you're talking about, but sure. Like, if that's going to make you feel good, do it. Uh, but I remember, so I, when I left the hospital, we, I moved to Minnesota to go to school for prosthetics. I know I needed to join a swim team and I would call like these coaches and I'd be like, hi, my name's Melissa. It's, I just lost my leg over in Iraq. I want to go to the 2008 Paralympic Games. Like, can you get me there? And there was all, all often this like, don't even know who you are, what you're talking about. Um, sorry, like look elsewhere. And finally this, this coach was like, sure, come give, let, let, let's give it a shot. And that's who I ended up training with um, in, in Minnesota. Um, my first swim team, you know, I was the only one missing a leg and yeah, but that kind of started things out. Okay, that started things out. And and sometimes it's easy to look at this and say, okay, she lost her leg. So then she has to figure out how to swim without a leg. How yeah. good a swimmer were you? Because swimming is that kind of sport that if you are not doing it technically well, you can work really, really hard and go absolutely nowhere. Right. Agreed. And, you know, I was, I, I had swam growing up. I, I mean, I had swam like when it, you're really young, like on a swim, on a, like a kid's swim team. Um, but I, I knew how to do all the strokes. Obviously, like swimming is a very much an, an upper body sport. You know, does the kick help? Absolutely. But it's not like I'm going to swim in circles, you know, without the kick. So it was mainly an upper body sport. I had to learn how to go off the blocks, you know, do flip turns, push off the wall. But it's not like I was relearning the stroke. And I'd been like a decent swimmer. I mean, you know, nothing to write home about, but I could swim. Like I knew how to swim. So I wasn't so much starting from scratch. It was just kind of learning how to do it faster and, and with one leg. Huh. Okay. So that's, so that, that then makes a whole lot of sense. And then you ended up going into freestyle was freestyle yeah. really because Yeah. I mean, yeah. obviously you say the kick doesn't make any difference until you talk about doing the breaststroke and then the kick right. makes a huge difference. Right. right. 
Agreed. Yes, it does. Um, but, it, but if you watch the Paralympic swimming, it's interesting, like freestyle and butterfly, you look at the blocks, it's typically like a lower limb amputees, like doing breaststroke. I mean, I can do it, but it's not, it's hard. Like it's not, you know, but you look at freestyle and it's pretty much mostly lower limb athletes. Well, this is when, this is when I did it in 2008, this could have changed, but you look at a breaststroke like event with eight lanes and probably the majority of them are missing a limb like above the, like an upper limb extremity. So um, yeah, you kind of freestyle. I did some butterfly as well, but freestyle, I kind of gravitated towards. Did you like freestyle before? Like when you were swimming as a little kid or did you just swim everything? I think I probably freestyle. Yeah. Okay. Which freestyle makes the most sense in a lot of ways. It's the the stroke that most of us learn. They learn to start with. Yeah. It's what everybody, it's what everybody learns. So, right. so, so that was your, that was your initiation. You found it, you found a coach, you found a coach who would take you. What was like the first day of practice like? Um, I don't even remember. That was so long ago. I remember, so I'm the only amputee. Um, they kind of put me in the lane on my own at the end. Oh, a lane on your own. Cause that's yeah. the way swimming works where you have your lane for your kind of circle for your workout yeah. and everybody's kind of. <laughs> yeah. There was another athlete there. I don't remember if she was there when I got there, but spinal cord injury in a wheelchair. Actually we shared a lane, her and I shared a lane, um, you know, kind of self-conscious at first, like taking my leg off in front of everyone else. But that maybe lasted a day. Cause honestly, like I had to get over that pretty quickly if this was going to be a thing. So got over that pretty quickly. I don't remember. Um, I don't, re- all I know is that my times like got, were getting faster and that's what mattered. So that, that's kind of what I, what I remember. And faster. I mean, you're saying faster by like, not by hundreds and tenths of a second, but like by chunks of minutes okay. faster. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Th- yes, they were. But I mean, remember, I started, I was very slow when I started. So you put any sort of time into anything that you're pretty slow. At, and I mean, it'll, you'll, you'll improve um, pretty quickly. I, I would feel that similar to most people, I would think. You were starting, well, you were starting at zero or maybe below zero in some ways, right. like coming out of the rehab and yeah. surgery and all of those things. When did you get married? Um, so I was married. I've been, this is my, I'm in my second marriage right now. Um, we'll say second and final marriage. Um, so I was married when I went over to Iraq. Um, I was married at the time. My husband was over there with me. We, he came after I got hurt, he came back with me. He was at, we were at Walter Reed together and we got divorced in 2000. Gosh, Your Walter Reed together. Was he injured as well? No, no, but it was this kind of this, um, kind of first time incident where when I got, when I lost my leg and I was in the Iraq, when I was in the emergency room, like in Baghdad, he was actually at my bedside before I even woke up from that, that like life-saving surgery. So it had never really happened where a spouse had been there. So he was able to come back home to the U.S. with me. And then he was granted the ability to, he got a job in D.C. and he was stayed with me when I was doing my rehab at Walter Reed. So um, he, yeah, I'll, he, he got me through a lot of the, you know, the, like I credit him a lot with where I am today, just kind of Paralympic. Sure. Let's, let's, let's do it. Like go for it. You know, that type of thing. So we got divorced in 2000, gosh, 10. And then I am now married to Brian. Um, and we got married in 2014, 15, gosh, 2015. Yeah. I don't know. So. I don't know. I'm asking you like, you know, yeah. so we've been married um, seven years, seven years. 
Yeah. Okay. Seven years. And your, your children are from, from this marriage, from your second marriage. Yep. Yep. So they, uh, yep. So Brian and I, yep. Four and four and seven. Four and seven. So how much do they understand what you're doing? Uh, my seven-year-old is starting maybe too, but at the same time, like I'm, I mean, they grew up, they, they've grown up with me as their, I, we used to joke that they would think every mom doesn't have a leg and they'd go to their friend's house and be like, wait a minute, like, why does your mom have two legs? So it was, I, to them, I'm like, I'm mom, right? I'm mom and I don't have a leg. I mean, they know, like, they know my running leg. They know, my, like, they know all my legs. They bring me my legs. They help me out with them if I need it they know that they see me on like TV sometimes. They know that like Tokyo, they had this big watch party and they were watching me race on TV. Like, so they've seen all that, but it's almost like normal to them. That's just like what I do and like who I am. It's nothing at all out of the ordinary. It's just like normal, which I, I kind of like it like that, you know, and it kind of adds this extra dimension where if I go have a workout, you know, and it's not a great workout, well, I come home and my kids don't care. Like, I'm just, they were asking me if they can have another popsicle. Like they don't care if my workout's good or bad. Like they're going to be in Boston with me on Monday and guarantee they're going to, I'm going to finish that race. And my, one of them is going to run over and try to jump up so I can hold them, which I would gladly do. But after 26.2 miles, I don't know how I'll be able to do that very well. So like, they understand it in some sense, but again, I'm just, I'm, I'm just mom that's going to go run a, a, a race that's 26 miles and they're just going to watch along the way. Like they don't, they don't really understand like the, how, how kind of cool it is, I guess. You, you've been on a long journey. Is there anything that you hope that they take from what you've done? Anything that you're trying to teach them from your experiences? You know, I think as parents, you I mean, you obviously want your kids to like grow up and be kind people and good people and, you know, and to treat people well and to, you know, go for their dreams. But I think being a mom that, you know, has a disability, it's like, we're kind of showing them firsthand that like, we all have something unique about us. I mean, mine's much more visible. Like I don't have a leg, but I think you could ask anybody, like there's something about every person that makes them different. And instead of like running from it, like in, in embracing it and like choosing to accept it, if that's who you are and just to be proud of it. So my hope is that they take that away. Like whatever, you know, just you, it's okay to be different. Like you can embrace it and just be your own person and, and be, be happy with that and live a very full, full active life. And still shoot for these big goals and have the, the grit yeah. to, to get through and make them a reality. Well, that sounds like grit, resilience, big goals, seems like a really appropriate way to to get you out of here and on your way to Boston. So thank you so much for joining us, Melissa. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. Yep, one week, it'll be great. But thank you for having me, I appreciate it. I look forward to seeing you out there. Thank you to all of you for joining us. We hope that you've enjoyed it. The greatest gift that you can give us is to tell your friends. Tell your friends to tune in. Tell your friends to check it out. Like us, follow us. This will be everywhere you find podcasts. And, and please uh, please find a way to, to follow us and find a way to uh, find the next great story. So Melissa, thank you. And we'll look forward yeah. to seeing you soon. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. Please subscribe to Chris Waddell Living It for more stories on the adaptive community, the Paralympics, artists, athletes, entrepreneurs, experts, in the experience of being human. Also follow us on Spotify, Apple, Facebook, and Instagram. I look forward to seeing you next week.